podcast. Thanks for joining us and I want to wish you a happy Christmas. In this uh, short and sweet podcast, I want to jump into looking at Christmas and the amazing thing of the incarnation and the, the greatest gift of all, the transformational nature of what we celebrate. I kind of love the message of Christmas, the depth of Christmas, the amazement of the, the story of the incarnation. And I hope as I share this podcast with you, just to leave you a few thoughts to ponder, a few thoughts to, to go, wow, isn't it amazing? And maybe to take some time to worship Jesus and worship God for what he has done for his creation through this amazing thing that we celebrate. I, I believe that Christmas is not to be another kitschy moment of kind of Santa Claus and snow-painted shopping windows and a bit tired of Christmas sales, as, as no doubt you are, and, and we kind of get overloaded with the oodles of wrap presents and we, uh, at the end of the day, have so many more stuff, you know, just, just stuff and parents with overloaded credit card debts. And then there's the weird talking reindeers and, and green grinches. And, yeah, honestly, I kind of, I do like the tradition to a degree. And uh, uh, I do think that Jim Carrey is the most brilliant Grinch. Not much can, can match uh, his acting is amazing, but, hey, that's a bit off point. To a degree, or to a large degree, really, it all tends to diminish the true wonder of the moment. And, you know, our Western culture, as we uh, uh, have walked away or diminished our adherence to Christianity, Christmas has been diminished. Christianity has been sold out. The substance of the celebration has been changed to a tacky, consumer-driven veneer and, and leaves one wanting a lot, lot more depth, more hope, more substance. Um, uh, you know, we kind of come and see Christmas and say, surely there's much more than this. Protestant churches, I think, and I've thought for a long time, have struggled to really articulate, clearly articulate the importance of the Incarnation. The Protestant emphasis is always like the story of Jesus and the, the peak of the event is the cross and in a more limited way the resurrection. But very little on the Incarnation. And in fact I often feel like we're a little embarrassed by the, the virgin birth and struggle to articulate why this is all so important. We often hear that Jesus was born, and then we hear the fast forward of the tape, so that he could die for our sins. And that seems to be the message that comes across in churches. And while it's somewhat true, we can really totally miss the importance of the incarnation. And I think we just need to pause, press pause on this tape, and just try and understand what was going on. Otherwise, we end up celebrating Christmas as either a kitschy story or a feel-good story of shepherds and sheep and stars and mangers and sing silent night. I love all these things. But we so quickly want to move on from the babe of Bethlehem and get to, quote-unquote, the more serious things. We need to stop and grab the profound and startling story 
that God became flesh. In John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5 it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14 of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the one, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Reading this, you know, the incarnation is one of the most important and transformational events in human history. The creator of the universe becomes one with his creation. Not simply entering into his creation, but another level, he takes on the very nature of humanity on himself. And this wondrous event is worthy of us stopping and worshipping. Like C.S. Lewis, as he contemplates the wonder of God, he says sometimes we just need to take off our hats and worship. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the nature, the form of a servant, and being found in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus appeared in the nature of these very frail and unfaithful creatures, human beings. Yet as compromised and fragile as humans are, they, as the story begins in Genesis 1, says, have the stamp on them made in the image of God. So incredible value and the picture of God, of God's creation. And yet that image today is now faded, broken, damaged. God's mirror, his reflection to creation, and this is what is like, is definitely shattered. And God, in creation, put his image on the earth. And so... With the incarnation of Jesus coming in the flesh, something radically was about to shift. Something was to change altogether. You see, the whole nature of humanity changed when God became flesh. It was a game changer in the history of humanity. There has been no other event like this. And so what God did in creation making his image, he did again through the incarnation. He was to restore his image. That was broken and damaged, was about to be totally renewed and transformed. I remember studying some of the early church fathers and the statements they had about um, 
Jesus and the work of the Incarnation, and they definitely had a high view of this event being the event of, of redemption. And they would say statements that goes along these lines. He became one with us so that we could become one with him. He shared our nature so we could share his nature. He became family with us so we could become sons and daughters of the living God. By becoming one with us, we could become one with him. And this idea of the incarnation of God entering into our substance, our very beings, our, our humanity, our flesh and blood, changed everything. It was the game changer. While there was the first Adam, Jesus was to become the second Adam and was to change the nature of human beings forever. There is no other way that he could change our path forever. There is no other way that we could become one with God, family with God, sons and daughters with God, without him becoming one with us. The incarnation meant that we could share in his nature and be included not simply in a relational way where God stoops from heaven in a condescending way or a distant way or and saying, I forgive you, you can become part of my family. But the incarnation meant something profoundly different is that we could share in his nature and be included not simply uh, through a forgiveness paradigm or a law paradigm where we've been set right, but we become part of God's flesh and blood. And that's the wow moment. The radical inclusion of God to us started when he became one with us. John chapter 1, 12 and 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his names, talking about Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. So it's not simply the cross and the resurrection that made it possible for redemption, but the incarnation made it possible for us to change our very nature. The incarnation is the biggest affirmation of God's opinion, his worth of his creation. We're made in his image that he would join with us. He was to go on from the incarnation to pave the way for us with a perfect humanity, no sin, so that he could help us in our sin. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15 says this, Since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one whom in every respect has been tempted as we are, and yet without sin. You know, the incarnation meant that God uh, has walked in our skin. He walked in our paths. He suffered with temptation. He suffered. He felt pain. He felt difficulty. He not only just helps us as God from 
heaven would reach down and help us, but he understands us. And not simply understands us like an academic would understand an ant or study a creature, but he can actually say, I have walked your pathway. I know what temptation feels like. I know what your humanity is like because I have been and am one with you. Hebrews 5, 7 and 9 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And although he was a son, he learnt obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus becomes our example. He is the way, as he says in John, I am the way, the truth and the life. He is the way in which we should walk. We're called to transform ourselves and walk the pathway of obedience through faith, just like Jesus did. And finally, there could not be a cross without the incarnation. In Hebrews two fourteen and 15, it says, Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things. And through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to a lifelong slavery. Wow, just so amazing. Just as Jesus entered into our life, entered into our human nature to transform it, he entered into our death to overcome it. He's gone ahead of us and broken through that thin veil of death to meet us on the other side. So no matter what we face with suffering, Jesus has experienced it. With temptation, Jesus has experienced it. And with death, Jesus has walked right through it, endured suffering and temptation to create the pathway for us that we should walk, trusting him that he is on the other side to meet us. Being perfectly human, he paved the way for all humanity to eternal life to the Father. So those who believe in him, those who received him, those who learn the pathway of obedience towards him, those um, he has called in to be conformed. So he's recreating his image in us. Romans 8.29 says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In, in 1 Corinthians 15.49 says, Just as we've been born in the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also be bear the image of the man of heaven. God is recreating his image in us. And so that's kind of why we worship this Christmas. We see God fulfilling his plan to an unbelieving priest called Zechariah in his temple, and we worship. We see God send Gabriel and select a young 15 or 16-year-old girl called Mary from the back blocks of Galilee to become the bearer or mother of God. And the degree that her faith, her statement says, let it be as you have said, becomes an example of us all to surrender, humility, faith pouring out of the Holy Spirit on two pregnant women who prophesied some of the most beautiful prophecy found in Scripture. The grand display of the myriads of angels. I just wonder what that was like when the shepherds were out there and suddenly heaven is peeled back 
and myriads of angels say glory to God in the highest and peace to people on earth. Wow, wow. And when we look at the star in the east and for God's proclamation to the nations to say here is the one, here is the one, the nations represented in the Magi coming to worship. So in the Incarnation we witness the greatest transition moment of human history. And that's why we stand in amazement. That's why we worship. That's why we join with C.S. Lewis and take off our hands and worship the incomprehensible. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas.